Hello, everyone, and welcome to Midweek Minnesota, a production of Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad. My name is Eric Ritland. I'm a journalist, songwriter, and commentator from the east side of St. Paul. Currently, I'm a writer and editor at Music in Minnesota. I've written and recorded six albums and eight EPs since 2001. My latest is called A Movable Feast, The Ghost of a Rose Sessions, and I wrote and recorded that just this past February. I'm also the founder and content manager of Rambling On, which has been producing seriously fun articles and podcasts on sports, music, music, culture, and more since 2012. I'm very excited to announce my latest project, Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad. Be happier, get smarter, discover with the Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad podcast, which debuts on October 7th and will feature content five days a week. Midweek Minnesota is part of Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad and will feature two segments, the Minnesota Music Ramble and the Minnesota Sports Ramble. This edition of the Midweek Minnesota Music Ramble features my friend Tom Smouse. Tom is a writer for Music in Minnesota and is the author of two popular series on that website, the Smouse and House Venue Series, where he gives an in-depth look into many of the best venues for live music in the Twin Cities and beyond, and Songtelling Tuesday, which features local songwriters talking about their craft. Thanks for listening to this Midweek Minnesota Music Ramble segment brought to you by Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad. I definitely have to say that I'm honored that my song telling Tuesday is in between Haley <laughs> and Chastity Brown, who I I love them both. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I I'm excited to kind of end the in the season with some really strong weeks. Yeah. Um. Have you yeah. already Have you already sat down with Chastity Brown too? Or yeah, Chastity I caught with a, uh, on the phone. She was out in. Uh, Maine, I think, biking with her family. So oh, nice <laughs> for her to like take some time yeah. to, to to talk was great. That's super and cool. uh, Haley, I connected with uh, last week. Went over to her house and had a really good chance oh, nice. to sit down and talk about songwriting with her. So I'm really excited for that article. Yeah, because I've been following well Haley for sure for a while, and the first time I heard about Chastity Brown was on the Twinkie Jiggles "Too Big to Fail" album. Okay, she sings most of the songs on that. Nice. Twinkie Jiggles, you might also know him as Sean McPherson from the current bass player for High Respects. His solo album, I liked a lot. Yeah. And I covered it for the old publication I used to write for, and I went to the CD release show, and her vocals just totally blew me away. Yeah. And then I saw her open for the Jayhawks, I believe, last December. So, yeah, she's, she's one of those artists that I think every time you go to, you're reminded of uh, talent. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I often forget about her, but then when I catch her at a show or I get tickets and I go to see her, right? it's that moment of like, oh my God, I, I need to be listening to more of this. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm always kind of blown away by her when I, when I see her live, for sure. She has what I like to call in pretentious music writers speak, a big voice. Big <laughs> voice. Yeah, I mean, she's got kind of like this rambling style that uh, can also, to me, there's a, a true personality behind it yeah. and character behind it that reminds me a little bit of Dylan, of yeah. just the, that ability to, to lyrically not, I guess, sing in the in a pattern and in a certain right. uh, mood to where every song sounds the same. You know, all, all of her stuff can be done with such kind of character. Uh, so. Yeah, it's almost jazzy in its style Mm -hmm. where it's kind of like emotional and based on based more on the each performance and what the song is going for rather than just singing like with my songs for example it's 
there's the melody, there's the words. I just sing it kind of straightforward. Yeah. But with like her, like Dylan, it's who else? Janis Joplin kind of did that. I was listening to some of her stuff over the weekend for the first time in a while mm. and noticing just how much she would play around melodies and add words and take away words, just like a jazz singer. Yeah. And which isn't surprising, obviously, because that's what she cut her teeth on when she was growing well, and, up. And so. the emotion mm-hmm. and the strength of like Janice's voice can just carry so many, uh, so much power in it. And I think, yeah, I mean, that's a, a pretty good connection to, to Chastity as well. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of like our Janice Joplin. Well, yeah, I'm excited to have your article out. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not, to, not this Tuesday, a week from this Tuesday. Right. So I've been starting to write that, and nice. and uh, uh, it was a great talk with you as well. I yeah, learned a was, lot about those songs, and that was super kinda, fun. Uh, I, I learned a lot about your past too, just the, yeah. uh, the in terms of the amount of songs that you've written, right, and how you go through those and kind of use those as a foundation. Uh, you know, a, a lot of artists don't like to talk about like how many songs that haven't right. made it on a record, right? <laughs> right. I've done seven albums, and, and you never really understand that there's. 200 songs that they right. chose from in their past yeah so i think that's it's a really kind of important thing that you do that yeah. a lot of artists do yeah. uh, and hopefully someone listening to it can be like i can relate right i can actually say this stuff now <laughs> i've written 15 songs <laughs> and i only like one of them right but out of those 15 like i learn and i can improve upon myself right. and, and grow and that's the great part about songwriting is that the more you force yourself to do it the more good stuff you'll write where I've written those February albums, and I've I've actually been pretty blessed most years. I think I've done it, I think I've done it five times, and of those five times, two of them were really really good. One of them was okay. It was good as far as the transition in my songwriting went, but not like 100% solid. And the other two were okay, but of the 10 songs I wrote, two or three of them I really liked. Yeah. So if you force yourself to write a lot, at least a certain percentage of them will be good. And then you can t- you can steal pilfer from the rest for bits for other stuff. So Yeah. You just got to the hardest part is forcing yourself to do it. Yeah. And well, and the, the two songs that you chose too and the and the stories behind them I think are really uh, interesting in, in itself there, but to to know, I mean, I think both of them, you had this this aspect and element to them that you're like, these are the songs that came to me right away, yeah. and I didn't even understand the dimensions yeah. of what I was trying to say until I wrote it and I looked back and I realized, oh, this is a line from a novel that I was reading, yeah. and this is where this concept came from, from yeah. this album, and... and I mean, I think that that's really cool as it must be as an artist yeah. to have those revelations it's, to, to go back and be like, holy, holy crap, my subconscious right. was helping me yeah. like make something out of this. It, it's worth it's a payoff that makes all of the hours and hours of wasted time where you just write total garbage <laughs> worth it. Yeah. Like you kind of mentioned the, the stuff from novels coming back, especially in the second verse of Walls and Bridges. And it's the craziest feeling not really knowing where the stuff's coming from, but kind of knowing where it's coming from. Like, it's not you that's doing it. Like, you're just receiving something. Is, it's it, just like so an, cool. is it like an out-of-body experience it kind almost? Of, it kind of is. Yeah. It's kind of like you're tapping into that, and it's you, but it's not you at the same time. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I love that aspect of creating. Yeah, I can look back on my songwriting and see specific periods and specific songs and specific albums where if I wouldn't have written them, I might have just stopped writing songs, period. Yeah. But seeing that I can be... I, 
it seems like I'm always successful right when I think I'm going to not have anything else. So that just spurs me to keep going. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Haley, we were talking about one of her songs, uh, Hometown. Mm -hmm. And originally she, the chorus was Hometown Ghost. Um, And she was performing the song and, and it just was... She liked the song and it's something that she wrote a long time ago and she was just kind of putting out there. But it did it changed a lot when she dropped the ghost and she used the word goes. And uh. that one word, when you think back and you listen to that song in the in the oh, chorus yeah. that says, Hometown goes wherever we go, essentially she oh, had wow. wrote it Hometown Ghost wherever we go. And That's uh, really cool. That's how it works. That's how the creative word. thing works. Yeah. And I'm I'm just sitting there like thinking, obviously as a as a listener when you're presented with a song and with a lyric, your belief is that that's what it's always been. Right. Like, you don't know that the time it took to change out one or two little words or the order of how they say something, um, or maybe even making verse two into verse one and, and yeah. vice versa. All of those decisions before it makes it to your ear, you don't even think about. Um, or like making the chorus the first line instead, you know, <laughs> yeah. things like that. Yeah. And it's, you know, like even like to me, like that little thing out of that song blows my mind as a as a true listener. Yeah. You know, I'm not a songwriter myself, but to, to hear how that one little word kind of changed it for her. Right. And that the connotation and the feeling that you get from that word being changed, hometown goes instead of hometown ghost. It, right. It changed the whole complexion. It, um, one kind of illustration I like to use with songwriting, and this is something I get from Dylan, and it goes back to the concept of the muse way, way back, thousands of years, like the Iliad and stuff, that you're kind of a vessel for what's there already. And it totally, well, that's Haley's story, it totally makes me visualize. It, it was hometown goes the entire time, but she was trying to get it, and when you know she first was going at it, it was ghost. And then she realized, no, no, wait a minute. This is what it was actually saying. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, no, it's been it's been fun to to write about those little things this year, and um, it's certainly uh, I have one, two, three, four more articles left, uh, and then uh, essentially we're going to retire that till next year. So nice. Uh, it's been a good. It's going to end up at fifteen or sixteen artists. Very cool. So three and a half, almost four months uh, of one article every Tuesday for that. So. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a been... lot of work. <laughs> well, but it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot of info too. And it's, it's a lot of songs because every article comes with two songs. Right. Um, where they can listen to. So, you know, that's, that's 30 songs that people can really get into and listen yeah. and discover new music if they haven't, you know, if they don't know any local artists. I mean, there's every Tuesday. Right. That's really cool. What music have you been listening to lately? Yourself. Oh, uh, you know, I'm still hung up on like uh, two songs. One came out in March and I think one came out two months ago and I'm still listening to them. And uh, Christian Lee Hudson is uh, one gentleman's name. He plays in a band with Phoebe Bridgers and his new album that's I don't know when it's coming out is going to be produced by her. And he released this song called uh, Northsiders and it's. Uh, it's one of the best st- storytelling songs I've heard in a long time, and the melody is there. Uh, I think he lives down in Nashville, but I- I've just been listening to this song constantly on repeat and trying to, uh, it, you know, to me it reminds me of uh, so many artists put out new music all the time. Yeah. And he's had one song out since March. 
promoting an album. That's it. One song. But it's so good right. that I'm I'm not done with it yet. <laughs> you know, like I'm I'm hanging on my chair waiting for nice. the next song. So what's the story? You know, don't give away the ending, but what's it's it's a story about a, a guy and a girl and how they grew up uh, together and kind of grew apart. And uh, it's kind of told from the story of the boy, obviously. And uh, it's very, uh, very simple story. But yet the way that he says it and the way that the song plays out, it's brilliant, brilliant, brilliantly done. Nice. Um, and then the, the other song I've just been stuck on is, is uh, it's a demo version, which is even more obscure. Uh, it's from a band called The Three of Us. Okay. And they're definitely from Nashville. The lead singer there is uh, Maddie Diaz. And uh, that song is uh, kind of a breakup song. Um, hmm. It's called Four Months Now. Okay. And the whole song is is basically like uh, I've been I've been leaving you for months now. Oh, um, that's cool. So it's it's a song told from like hey, you don't know it yet, but right. I'm gonna break up with you. Yeah. And it's a really emotional song, and the way that it's written again, it's very clever and very beautiful. And it's it's just a demo, so it's a, an electric guitar and uh, three part harmonies. Nice. And so that that song also I've been waiting on of like when are they going to release the full band? Right. And, you know. Um, so th- those are two of the tracks that I think I've just been uh, digging into a lot this week in particular. I've been listening to a lot of Humbird. Nice Humbird local artist uh, had her release at Parkway Theater on the seventh. I see a lot of ads for yes Humbird right folk uh, folk acoustic uh, beautiful voice. I saw her open up for uh, Jillian Ray nice. at the Cedar. Um, and great venue. Yeah, great venue. Um, and uh, yeah, she's got her first album out, first full-length album, and it's it's really beautiful. It's very stripped back. I mean, it's minimalist in nature, but all the sounds in it, too, they're not... Uh, you know, the first two tracks you're hearing, like, gears and clicking and grinding. And, huh. it, you know, so it's not just traditional acoustic folk instrumentation. Right. Um, which is cool. So uh, I, I think she's been getting a lot of a buzz on that album and, and ex- kind of excited to see that come out. Nice. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of that as well. That sounds like something I'd be interested in for sure. Yeah, definitely check it out. I nice. I wish we would have had her on, like, the songwriting series because I think she she is another really great storyteller here. Right. Um, so... Maybe for next season. Season two. You never know. You never know. know. I went to Northfield this weekend for the defeat of Jesse James days. Have you ever been, (laughs) have you ever been to Northfield or there for that? It is, it is very epic. (laughs) Well, it's actually a pretty cool story because you know, the old outlaw, outlaw, uh, Jesse James, Mm -hmm. his last ever raid slash robbery was in Northfield. Mm -hmm. He had just robbed a train in Missouri, I think. And him and Cole Younger had a gang together. And they came up to Minnesota, hung out in Minneapolis and St. Paul for like a month with all this money that they had gotten from this train robbery. And they decided that they were going to rob the bank in Northfield. So on September 7th, I can't remember exactly, I think it was the 140th anniversary was a couple years back. Okay. They tried to rob the bank in Northfield and the citizens of the city fought back and beat them. <laughs> they didn't get the money. A couple of them died wow. and they ran off in disgrace. And I don't think he ever robbed anything again after that. That was his, that was his last attempt. Yeah. And it was here in Northfield. So it's pretty cool to go there every year. They do a, a festival and they have reenactments exactly where it happened. And <laughs> it's really fun for, for families to go to for sure. Like I yeah. always go there with my parents and my nephews and my siblings and their families. And we all just get this big crew together and go down there. 
And there's an antique store in Northfield. And it's a really cool experience because there's every possible square inch of the place is filled with stuff. There's old beer bottles and glasses and guitars and a lot of records, too. And on the floor, they have $5 records. And behind the counter, they have $10 records, which they don't even advertise. You have to kind of ask. You have to kind of know about them. The good stuff is always behind the right. counter. <laughs> right. If you go to any record stores here in the Twin Cities, ask to see the stuff behind the counter. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Especially at Cadence. <laughs> yes. Cadence will always do that. Yep. They'll usually bring it up to me like, we just got this really great haul. You got to check yeah, it out. Yeah. It's super cool. Yep. But so I asked to look at it and it's the funniest thing because they're not in a nice little row. They're in four or five boxes on top of each other. So they have to move the boxes down and take them out a handful at a time. And it's it's just this super cool old school small town thing. You know, I picked up three records at that record store. Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly lives, I think, is what it's called. Which is just, it's his 20 biggest songs. Yeah. And I love Buddy Holly. So, and I've always wanted to get a somewhat original-ish issue of a Buddy Holly album. And it's not one of his 50s records, but it is a very popular 70s compilation. So it's kind of cool to get that. And now I have all of his big songs on vinyl. So that'll be, that's fun to listen to. I also picked up Duke Ellington Live in Fargo 1940. <laughs> this box set. You played Fargo? Yeah, evidently. Wow. And the thing about these records is that they were $10 each, which is a little overpriced, but it's an antique store in Northfield. Yeah. So you, you want to give them the money anyway, and I'm sure there's not a lot of people coming there and buying stuff. So I, I gladly paid a little bit of the overprice, though the prices that were a little high. But that Duke Ellington... It's two records, and it's a box set, and there's a mini book inside, so that was totally worth it. That's probably actually worth yeah. more than 10 bucks. Yeah. And then the other one I got that I was really excited for was what I think is an original pressing of Sinatra Swings, mm. or Sinatra's Swing in Session. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but I do remember that it has three exclamation points at the end of the title. And I, <laughs> and I love Sinatra. I know he he's an acquired taste. Because I think a lot of people who are into rock music and into indie stuff and and kind of more new popular music, they see it as too old-fashioned or too lame or whatever. But yeah. his voice is perfect. His voice is perfect. It's huge. It It's warm. Mm-hmm. And the songs that he sings, it reminds me of early Beatles stuff or Hank Williams, which is kind of a couple weird things to compare it to. But it reminds me of them in that it's just simple, straightforward human emotion. Yeah. Just straightforward what people actually go through and like no BS, no just straightforward good human stuff. It's very human. That's yeah. what I like about it. That's what I like about kind of older music like that. It's it's very sincere. Yeah. You know. When Frank would I mean hundreds or not hundreds, but hundreds? so many albums. Yeah. He did so <laughs> many albums and he would do albums in different styles and explore different things. He was the first person to ever do concept albums. Yeah. 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 So, and listening to him on vinyl, it's it's takes it to a whole nother level for sure. I have a few of his, and it's just anytime you put that on, you're you're just transported. Yeah, like the, back in time, the studios that he recorded his albums in the '50s at the Capitol Studios in California mm-hmm. with the really great echo chamber. It just it's so beautiful. Yeah, and it's so perfect. It it's almost fits. like they like built that studio just for him. Yeah. Yeah. When Dylan did his five total albums of Sinatra-related covers, he did it there. Yeah. And it was all live. It was pretty cool for the first album or two. By the time we got to the fifth album, it was like, hmm, that's a lot of Dylan doing Sinatra. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah. 
But there's a lot of Sinatra to do. That's true. <laughs> and I still have all those albums. So. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> What do you think of the beer? It's good. I, I'm trying to think of the last time I had a pumpkin beer. I used to really be into pumpkin beer. And then, for some reason... It got too basic. Maybe, yeah, maybe <laughs> I just had so much of it that I was just like, all right, no more. Yeah. But I can see why I liked pumpkin beer. Yeah. This is good. I usually do it right around fall. Because mm-hmm. I like just getting into the season. That's one way to do it. There are so many great kinds of fall beer. You have to mix it up. Oh, yeah. You have Oktoberfests. You have kind of dark ambers and browns and pumpkin beers. And that's the one time of year where I'll do even yam beer. That's actually no. pretty good. And I can't remember. It's good. It is. It's pretty good. It's not It's not a <laughs> heavy right. yam flavor. but Kudos for trying something different, I guess. Right. Oh, it might have been Indeed. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. That kind of sounds like something they would do. Right. I can see the... It's weird because I can see the packaging. Yeah. And I can remember what it tasted like, but I can't remember who did it. It was years ago, though. Yeah. So what shows have you been covering lately for Music in Minnesota? Mm. The last thing I, I covered was I took photos for uh, Nathaniel Rateliff uh, and the Night Sweats. Worst Surly. Band, worst band name of all time, but I love them. Yeah. Great I, band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would you have a band name that's so icky? I don't understand. <laughs> well, it's good that they're playing outdoors then. You're right. They're going to have the night sweats. It's <laughs> right. good that they're out in the air. You got to have a breeze going at least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then before that, uh, I was at the um, Turf Club and I, I covered uh, Alex Leahy, um, who's a female artist from Australia. Very cool. Uh, I And I think I wrote in that article, I have an obsession with Australian female artists. Uh, That's very specific. It is. <laughs> I mean, you think about like Kylie Minogue has come out of, out oh, of right. Australia and Sia and oh, right. uh, Iggy Azalea. Oh, they're all, see, I had no idea they were all Australian. Yeah. Huh. But there's a there's kind of a new breed of women that are are, are coming out of that uh, with Courtney Barnett, oh, uh, yeah. Alex Leahy. Uh, uh, there's a couple other that I've been just diving into. So I, I wrote for that show and actually took photos for that as well. Um, and uh, I was at the Brandy Carlisle show at the Minnesota State Fair. Very cool. Uh, helped out and assisted with some of the write-up on that, which is cool. And then uh, Fantagram was probably the one I did before that at the Palace. Nice. So that was the first time seeing Fantagram, and I was kind of blown away. Another great venue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that, that place is new. Yeah. I mean, relatively. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- those shows have been good. You know, I think I'm learning how to balance the series that I'm trying to interview and write for to the amount of shows that I can physically jump on. Um, but, uh, yeah, everything that I everything that I write for, it's I'm always impressed. Yeah. You know, nice. The one show I've covered since last week was The Who last Friday at mm. the X. You can find That's my review. Show. Oh, it was good. You can find my review at musicinminnesota.com. Yeah. I was very impressed because going in, I had read a lot of articles about their cur- their current tour and their last couple of tours, and they weren't super favorable. The last time I saw them was probably seven or eight years ago at the X, and Roger Daltrey had bronchitis. So he was barely able to sing. Pete Townsend sang a bunch of the stuff. And he said, we'll make it up for you soon. We're sorry about this. And of course, they never did. Because the next time they were in town, it was at the Target Center. Yeah. So then finally, they came back. And they, they did come to St. Paul at their Who Hits 50 tour. That was two, three years ago. Wasn't able to make it to that. But I was very impressed with 
how much vigor Pete Townsend still has, he he really goes at it like he cares. You can tell that playing the guitar still matters to him as a way to express himself, yeah. which you don't always see with old rock bands that are still touring. A lot of times it seems like it's just so you can get your grandkids through college or whatever. <laughs> and I've always kind of had that in the back of my head with The Who where it kind of just seems like maybe Townsend's dragging himself onto the road so Daltrey can afford the mortgage payments on his mansion or whatever. But it just didn't come off that way with how much energy he had. And one thing that I didn't get around to writing in the article that really impressed me was that Townsend had this jazz feel for some of the songs, especially for the ones he sang on. They did Eminence Front, which I'm glad they did instead of You Better You Bet, which because those were their 280s hits. And You Better You Bet is kind of a lame song. Eminence Front is super cool. And for the second verse of that song, he would do like old blues singers used to do where he would stop singing and just play guitar and skip whole lines of the song just to play guitar when he would feel like playing the guitar, which you don't really see rock bands doing that. He has this super out there kind of mindset when it comes to music and performance that I've always really liked. Daltrey's voice, everyone says, is completely shot. And he's even said that he's not happy with the range that he has at this point. But maybe it was because my expectations were so low, but I was pretty impressed. <laughs> they did Love Rain Over Me, and he hit that love, like, like a lot better than that, I'll say. <laughs> I'm not a screamer. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you get that impression from listening to my music. But he was able to hit a lot of the notes. He was able to do a lot of the screams. He didn't do the scream and won't get fooled again, but they did an acoustic version, which I thought was kind of interesting. I was kind of glad about, I was kind of glad to hear a different version than the studio version of that song, but it would have been kind of cool to hear the the full bombastic version, but I'm sure they're sick of doing that. And it was super cool because that one, for that one song, Townsend and Daltrey, it was just the two of them or yeah. the two, as I like yeah. to call them. It was a long show, too, wasn't it? Yeah, two and a half plus hours. The first half hour was all songs from Tommy. Yeah. They basically did a Reader's Digest version of the Tommy album, where they did most of the songs from the Overture through Pinball Wizard, and then they did the last song, We're Not Gonna Take It. Yeah. And they had an orchestra with them, and man, that added so many different emotional layers to their songs that I I didn't even know were there as a lifelong fan. It there was more darkness and depth to the kind of the the darker philosophical stuff that Townsend writes, especially with Tommy. And that that album is so simple and intricate at the same time to where orchestration really brought it to life. So that was really cool. I found myself even liking the radio hits that I'm not a super big fan of, especially Who Are You, which is a song that I only started liking when I realized that it was about the punks. (laughs) because pete pete townsend was like oh so we're dinosaurs and we don't matter anymore well who the fuck are you (laughs) you know it's just so brilliant when i when i used to hear roger daltrey sing that when i was a kid i thought he was just adding a swear word in there just to kind of sound cool but then he really meant it yeah the sincerity of pete townsend songwriting is just really cool and it's kind of what draws you into it but i was really impressed you know front to back with their entire show and maybe it was just because well two reasons one I've been listening to their stuff for so long that I'm kind of a super fan. Mm -hmm. And two, I kind of had low expectations because of what I had heard. So just the fact that not only was it good and passably good, but it was actually really, really good. It was it was pretty impressive. I was surprised and happy about it. Do you think there's an expectation if you're a band that's been there for X amount of years that the length of the show has to be a certain level? Yeah, I believe so. Why is that, though? Like, for example, when Bad Company was here at Mystic a couple months ago, they played for under an hour, and people were pissed. 
Paul McCartney plays for three plus hours. I think the reason is because artists like McCartney, the Eagles, Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen was really the first one to do it. If they're going to play for three, three and a half hours, that just kind of raises the standard, I feel like. it's, It's not about ticket price. Oh, I'm sure that's part of it, too. Like You think, you know, if I'm going to spend $100 on a ticket, right. this artist better play for two and a half hours because right. they have enough stuff. I feel like that's part of it. Yeah. It might also be, you know, a band's catalog so well, and there are so many songs they have to choose from, that if you're going to do a playlist, if you're a fan, you could you could go up to two hours easy. Yeah. So you figure if you if the band cares, they'll at least play for an hour and a half. Hmm. and it, it almost seems like the more they play, the more they seem to care. Yeah. I suppose that might be part of it, too. I talked to, there's an artist down in Austin who uh, I'm a super fan of. His name's uh, David R- Ramirez, and uh, when he was first touring, people would reach out and say, well, you, I see you're coming to town. Are you going to bring a band with you? How long are you going to play? Or wait, are you the opener, right. or are you the, are you the band that's playing in the middle? And he goes, I would just get so fed up. Yeah. Because... Who cares what I decide to present to you? What I decide to give you, you're buying and you are coming to be a fan and I'm going to give you what I want to give you in the best way that I know how. But he got frustrated that people would get really, really, you know, if you're not going to play for an hour, uh, you know, I guess I'm not going to, I'll see you next time. Right. And I think, uh, I, I think about these bands that play for two and a half hours and, and like you said, if they only play for an hour, people get upset. Is that really our, is it on us to be the ones to be upset? Like we bought the ticket. Right. If we're fans, what if they came out and played three songs? You know, that's right. more that like, that's why we showed up. I guess it kind of depends on the quality of the music as well. Yeah. If, if I saw one of my favorite bands and they played an hour that was just completely amazing and that was it, <laughs> I wouldn't be upset. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, the Who show could have been just under two hours, but I would have had to pick the set list exactly for myself. And maybe that's a reason, too. It's because they yeah. want to especially with satisfy a, a wider audience. Right. With a legacy band, they want to, to, like I said, satisfy a wider audience. Like, for example, for me, they did a, the, the opening suite from Tommy. They did a few songs from Quadrophenia, which I really loved. They did a deep cut from Who by Numbers. And so I was really into that. Yeah. I wasn't so into, I think they, I think they did The Seeker because that was the song that they played when I went to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> and they did a couple other, Join Together. It's like, I'm not as big into those songs, but I'm sure there were a lot of people there that just wanted to hear that and Magic Bus and yeah. all of those, which they didn't play Magic Bus, whereas those would have bored me. So the more songs that you play, the larger amount of the audience you're going to satisfy too. So yeah. I feel like that's part of it. And I feel like it's different with a bigger artist that has a huge catalog versus maybe a smaller artist or someone who doesn't have as big of a catalog too. Yeah. I I like the thought of knowing that uh, I was listening to Ryan Adams kind of live at uh, live album and uh, he's playing in New York and the crowd has got to be, you know, 10,000 people. Right. And I think, you know what? Someone, someone leaving that night is going to think that that was the greatest show that they ever went to. Yeah. Right. Right. And then someone else sitting there is going to think, I didn't like that. Right. I didn't like anything that he did. It was boring. It was boring. Right. And I think that's what's really unique to like keep in mind is that in the audience, someone could be having the greatest moment of their life. Right. And the other person could be just wanting to go home and hop on Netflix. And sometimes they can be a couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes one's a Packer fan and the other one's a Viking right. fan. I mean, it happens. <laughs> Yeah. Do you want to hear my gossipy Ryan Adams story? Oh, my. 
I know I. I don't really know I don't really know this guy, but he's one of my favorite songwriters, one of my biggest influences. His name is Big Bill Maloney mm-hmm. from the Vigilantes of Love. Pretty big name in the underground Americana scene, kind of bubbled under and only because he had a bunch of record deals kind of fall through. That was the reason why he wasn't he was close to having radio hits and close to making it huge, especially with an album called Audible Sigh, yeah. but just wasn't quite able to make it. But he's still he writes he still writes and records and releases usually two or three albums a year, does the independent songwriter thing, puts everything out on Bandcamp, and is kind of sustained by his fans. When he was touring years and years ago, this was probably within the first five years Ryan Adams was on was on tour, probably right after Whiskey Town, I would think. Evidently, they were on a bill together, and Ryan Adams detuned Bill Melanie's guitar right before he went on. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> so, that's my Ryan Adams gossip story, because I'm not sure if it's true. I think I remember him saying that, that story. That sounds true. But it, it does. It, it sounds, sounds like something like something a drunk Ryan Adams Absolutely. would do, for sure. It sounds, it sounds like something a, <laughs> a sober Ryan Adams would do. <laughs> that's the more frightening thing, <laughs> yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Music Ramble segment of Midweek Minnesota. For more information on my songwriting and to hear my music, visit ericritland.com and ericritland.bandcamp.com. For my music writing and a lot more other great content, visit musicinminnesota.com. And of course, remember to mark your calendars for October 7th, the launch of the Eric Ritland Isn't So Bad podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.